if you will, to 1 Samuel chapter 15. 1 Samuel chapter 15. Tonight I'm going to talk about listen and obey. Listen and obey. Listen and obey. 1 Samuel chapter 15. You know, we, we tell our kids this a lot, those of us that are parents in this room. This is something that we say a lot. Listen and obey. You know, there's a difference between hearing and listening. Has anybody identified that yet? Maybe in your own life or in your kids' lives. There's a difference between listening and hearing. You know, there's, there's the hearing that I hear things going on, but I'm not really giving a lot of attention to it, right? You know, I can, you know, be in the middle of the mall and hear all kinds of stuff, but I'm not really drawing on other conversations. But I could be in a conversation with someone in the midst of hearing all that, but listening to the person that I'm with. Listening just means I'm actually giving attention to what's being heard. And um, we've got to be a people, we've got to be a church that doesn't just hear stuff, but we listen. And we give attention to the Word. And here we're going to see a story tonight. And I just want to let you know if you have, a, you know, if you have your phone or your iPad or whatever with you, you can access our messages in the Version Bible app. Uh, most of you have that. Just about everybody's got the Version Bible app. And we've got our notes. We've got... The verses that we're going to be looking at tonight, it's real simple and easy to follow along with us uh, by using that. But uh, we're going to look at a story here in 1 Samuel chapter 15 of a man named King Saul. King Saul was the first king uh, placed in this position because God's people rejected God as their king. Israel came out and said, we want to look like all these other nations around here. And these other nations have a thing in place called a king. And a king rules over a kingdom. A king is in place to rule in dominion over an area. And God was Israel's king. They didn't need an earthly king. They didn't need a man to be king in this form, in this realm, because God was their king. God was the one giving orders. God was the one giving direction. God was the one bringing blessing. Amen. Anytime you look in God's word, there's always a blessing that follows a command. You know, sometimes we just see the command. Thou shalt not, thou shalt not do this, give this, live this. But we don't realize that behind the command is a blessing. So if we'll obey the command, we'll be blessed. Okay, this is the system that God has set in place. And God was a king like no other king. You know, today we wouldn't want to be ruled by a king because man messes up. Man messes up the kingship. Man messes up authority when it's all given to him because that's how a kingdom operates. In a kingdom, the king's word is the final say. The people don't have a say. You know, especially in this country, we love having a say. We love being able to vote. But you can't vote God in and you can't vote him out and you can't vote on his laws and his commands. It's the way that he says it. The reason we don't like that is because man ends up wanting their interest over your interest. But the reason why we can serve God as our king, faithfully committed and dedicated to his rulership in our lives, is because we know this. He loves us like nobody else can. 
when he makes a command, when he makes a decision, when he gives a law or puts a word out, we know this, it's with your best interest at heart, not his. The only reason he says thou shalt not is because I want to bless you. I want you to be the head and not the tail, above and not beneath. And so if you live according to my commands and my laws, you live in blessing. Blessing follows obedience. And so, you know, obviously we put a man in the rulership position of a king. Well, now he starts thinking for himself. Now he starts saying, you know what, maybe I don't want to always think about the best interests of the people. Maybe every now and then I want to make myself happy. Maybe every now and then I want to do something that helps me. Maybe I want to raise the taxes or maybe I want to say that I own this when I really don't. Or maybe I just want to throw out commands and laws just for the sake of it. Just to show them my power and my authority. But God would never do that. And so Israel cries out and Samuel is the prophet at this time. And Samuel goes to God and says, you know, he's upset, man. He's disappointed. He's like, can you believe that they're doing this? And God says, it's okay. It's okay. They haven't rejected you. They've rejected me as their king. They've rejected me as the one that's in full authority in their lives to bring a command and to bless them if they're obedient to that. So they want an earthly king. So God goes and he lets the people pick a king. And they pick this man Samuel, or uh, Saul, King Saul. And King Saul started out good. You know, there's a lot of people that start out good, but uh, we know this is not how you start, it's how you finish. And so King Saul got in this thing with the right motives because here's the problem. He's still not the final say. As the king in the earth, he's to operate under God's authority in heaven. He's to rule over God's people the way God says to rule over those people. In essence, he's the middleman. He's the one that's bringing the rulership of the kingdom of heaven to the earth. And so he starts out good, starts out obeying God's commands, starts out being obedient and doing and ruling as God would have him. But here in 1 Samuel chapter 15, we see a turn take place. And I want to just start right here in verse 1. And we'll pretty much read this whole chapter throughout this message and stopping along and picking out points. Verse 1, Samuel also said to Saul, the Lord sent me to anoint you king over his people, not your people, his people. He has sent me to anoint you as king over his people, over Israel. Now, therefore, heed the voice of the words of the Lord. Now, you know how we all do. The second we get authority, we think it's our prerogative and our decisions that are made. But he immediately transfers the authority that he's been given. He's made you king over God's people. Therefore, you have to listen to how God wants to do this thing. We have to listen to what God wants to say. He says, heed the voice of the words of the Lord. Understand this, that doing God's work requires us to give attention to God's word. Doing God's work requires us to give attention to God's Word. Because you're doing God's work, you have to do it the way He says to do it. Now, we'll bring this around. I'm not here to make out God uh, as some kind of, uh, you know, 
you know, what we call some kind of disciplinarian or someone that just wants to throw out their authority. God is not Hitler. Because ultimately, God loves you. That means that he gives you the right to choose because he wants to know, do you love me? God loves you by giving commands that are followed by blessings. And now he wants to know, do you love me by obeying the command that I give you? Amen. We're seeing this. So doing God's work requires us to give attention to God's word. Well, we've seen this in James chapter 1, verse 22. Let's flip over there real quick. James chapter 1, verse 22 says, Be ye doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. Be ye doers of the word. That means that what I'm hearing is now requiring me to do something. I want to read this to you in another translation. It's the... It's called the easy-to-read version, and I guess it's easier to read than other versions. Uh, But it says this, do what God's teaching says. Don't just listen and do nothing. When you only sit and listen, you are only fooling yourselves. Do what God's teachings say. Do not merely listen. Do not just hear. Well, we've heard this before, that what you hear and and what you know now brings brings responsibility. Right? Revelation brings responsibility. I remember, you know, when I was growing up in the 90s in church, uh, you know, one of the big things that everybody wanted was they wanted a word. I want to go to church and get a word. I hope the pastor calls me out and gives me a word. I want to get up in a line and I want him to prophesy over me. I want him to give me a word. I want him to give me direction because we thought that we couldn't hear from God unless we heard it from a pastor. And I'm not saying that God doesn't use pastors and use prophets and use evangelists to do those things. But ultimately, you've got to remember, it's God speaking, not the man. And so we would go chase around and we see this man come into town, go to this church. And, this man, and, and I grew up in a large city, so this happened a lot. And we just went around chasing word. Well, what people didn't realize was the word that you were just given, you're now responsible for that. Now, what is responsibility? Responsibility is this, the ability to respond. (laughs) That's what responsibility is. Now that I've heard the word, now that God has spoken to me, I am now required to respond. You've got to understand this. That God's word always requires a response. God's word always requires a response. When God speaks to us, he's speaking to us to get us to act and to move in line with what he has said. And that's where the blessing is. The blessing is in the obedience. And so here we have King Saul. Back at 1 Samuel chapter 15, verse 1, he's doing God's word. Therefore, he needs to give attention to God's word. And the word that is given now requires him to respond in a certain way. So if there's a certain way I should respond, then there's a certain way that I should not respond. 
If there's something I should be doing, then there's something that I shouldn't be doing as well. So let's keep going. Verse 2, thus says the Lord of hosts, I will punish Amalek for what he did to Israel, how he ambushed him on the way when he came up from Egypt. Now, let me just give you a little bit of history here so you understand what's taking place. He's referring to a moment when God brought his Israelites out of the land of Egypt. Anyone remember that story? Moses parted the Red Sea, took them into the wilderness. Well, while they were wandering around in the wilderness, the the Amalekites came out and ambushed the Israelites. And you may remember this fight because this was the one where Moses went up on top of a mountain and two men had to hold up his arms while Joshua fought the battle on the ground. And as long as his arms were held up, the Israelites were winning. And when his arms came down the Israelites began to lose. This is the battle that God's referring to. God doesn't forget stuff. Let me tell you what God doesn't forget. This this will encourage you. God doesn't forget when the enemy does you wrong. It's called the vengeance of the Lord. Now, it's his place to take vengeance, not ours. And you don't have to pray for it, but there is a vengeance of the Lord that when the enemy attacks you and does wrong to you, God doesn't forget that and he will always show himself faithful to overcome. So here we are years down the line. When you think about what all is taking place here, uh, Moses is dead. Joshua is dead. Joseph has already come and gone. We've already gone through all the judges, Gideon and Samson and all these guys. And now here we are with the first king, King Saul. And he says, I'm going to use you to take out this nation that ambushed my people so many years ago. Now go and attack Amalek, verse 3. And utterly destroy all that they have, and do not spare them. Kill both man and woman, infant and nursing child, ox and sheep, camel and donkey. In essence, what God is trying to do is he's trying to wipe this people that has been a nuisance to God's people off the face of the planet. Now, if you do some historical accounts, they say that the descendants of Amalek are still in the earth today, still terrorizing the, the nation of Israel. Now, and I, don't, I don't quote it as the Bible. I don't quote it as historically correct. But you'll find out why when we read this story, why God is so, so persistent that you wipe them off the face of the planet. Children, animals, all of it. So Saul gathered the people together and numbered them in Telaim, 200,000 foot soldiers and 10,000 men of Judah. And Saul came to a city of Amalek and lay in wait in the valley. Then Saul said to the Kenites, go, depart, get down from among the Amalekites, lest I destroy you with them. For he showed kindness to all the children of Israel when they came up out of Egypt. So the Kenites departed from among the Amalekites, just as God remembers those that terrorize his people, he also remembers those that bless them. You may remember uh, the promise that he gave to Abraham. Those who bless you, I'll bless, and those who curse you will be cursed. Well, God holds his promises. He doesn't forget. 
Verse 7, And Saul attacked the Amalekites from Havilah all the way to Shur, which is east of Egypt. He also took Agag, king of the Amalekites, alive and utterly destroyed all the people with the edge of the sword. But Saul and the people spared Agag and the best of the sheep, the oxen, the fatlings, the lambs, and all that was good and were unwilling to utterly destroy them. But everything despised and worthless, that they utterly destroyed. Now, I mean, reading this, on the outside looking in, we know what's coming. Dude, Saul, you blew it, man. The command was very simple. The command was very direct. There was no, there's no gray area. It's black and white. Utterly destroy everything that belongs to the Amalekites and every Amalekite person, including the king. See, here's what we do is sometimes we get a word from God and then we start trying to determine what he meant by that. See, what Saul did here was he began to place value on something that God had already valued as worthless. All of it was worthless to God. All of it was to be destroyed. None of it was good. None of it was of value. But Saul goes in and begins to assess his own value to the situation. Well, the king is valuable to me. These are the good animals. And then what does it say? That he destroyed all that he despised. Your value never overrides God's value. Learn to fall in line with what God's value and what God's assessment of a situation is. Why? Because we're doing his work. Therefore, we have to give attention to his word. And if in his word he deems this needs to be done, then we do that. But you see how self-interest begins to pop up. You see how Saul begins to look at things from his point of view rather than God's point of view. He now has his earthly perspective instead of God's perspective. Have you ever been in a situation where someone told you to do something, maybe a boss or maybe as a child you remember your parents telling you to do something and you didn't understand why? But afterwards, you found out why they gave that direction and you're like, oh, wow. Yeah, I see what you mean. I see why you said that. See, we have the responsibility to always keep God's perspective of the situation because we're doing his work. Now, there's a blessing that comes to the nation of Israel if they follow his command. The Amalekites will never be a nuisance to them again. There's no Amalekites left. There's nobody left. They can't even make any more Amalekite children. But see, now we've got Amalekite children being spared that can now grow up and make more Amalekite children. And what do we have? We're now repopulating a nation, a people that God wanted to get rid of because we failed to get God's picture, failed to get God's perspective. Verse 10, now the word of the Lord came to Samuel saying, I greatly regret that I have set up Saul as king. You don't ever want God to say that about you. 
for he has turned back from me, has not performed my commandments. And it grieved Samuel, and he cried out to the Lord all night. So when Samuel rose early in the morning to meet Saul, it was told Samuel, saying, Saul went to Carmel, and indeed he set up a monument for himself. (laughs) It gets worse. It's not getting any better. And he's gone on around, passed by, and gone down to to Gilgal. Then Samuel went to Saul, and Saul said to him, Blessed are you of the Lord. I have performed the commandment of the Lord. Rebellion breeds deception. I mean, this is James one twenty two right in front of our eyes. Be ye doers of the word, not hearers only, lest you what? Deceive yourselves. When we hear the word of God and don't do it, we fall into deception that we think we've done something that we haven't. Listen and obey. Listen and obey. Don't just hear his word, but listen. Give attention to it. Then do it. Then obey it. And so now we see deception showing up as a result of Saul's inability to perform God's command. Verse 14, but Samuel said, what then is this bleeding of the sheep in my ears and the lowing of the oxen which I hear? And Saul said, they have brought them from the Amalekites for the people, for the people. For the people spared the best of the sheep and the oxen to sacrifice to the Lord your God and the rest we have utterly destroyed. When you don't listen to God's word, you open yourself up to listen to other words. When you don't give attention to what God says, you'll start listening and you'll start giving attention to what other people have to say. Now, Saul is the king here, right? Saul is the king. If anybody's supposed to be listening to anybody, it's the other way around. The people ought to be listening to Saul. But here, in playing the blame game, he's identifying that he's opened himself up to communication from someone else other than God's word. His inability to listen to and obey God's word has now opened up his options, so to speak. He's now begun to receive direction and receive commands and receive words from other sources that he's not supposed to be listening to. He's the king. So when you don't listen to God's word, you open yourself up to other voices. When you don't obey God's word, you'll find yourself blaming others for your mess. When we don't obey God's word, oftentimes we find ourselves passing off blame for the mess that we're in. That we got ourselves in by simply not listening to the word of the king. So let's keep going. Verse 16, then Samuel said to Saul, be quiet. 
And I will tell you what the Lord said to me last night. That's probably the two words that Saul needed to hear in this situation. Be quiet. Be quiet. When we find ourselves having, a tr- having trouble obeying God's word, the first step we need to take is get quiet. Get quiet. It's difficult to receive a command from somebody when you have your own way of doing it and you're voicing your own opinion and voicing why you did what you did and how, how you would do it instead of how they say to do it. But when we learn to get quiet, that places us in a position to hear God's voice. And so Saul said to him, speak on. Verse 17, so Samuel said, when you were little in your own eyes, were you not head of the tribes of Israel? And did not the Lord anoint you king over Israel? Now the Lord sent you on a mission and said, go and utterly destroy the sinners, the Amalekites, And fight against them until they are consumed. Why then did you not obey the voice of the Lord? Why did you swoop down on the spoil and do evil? Do evil in the sight of the Lord. And Samuel said, and uh, and Saul said to Samuel, but I have. The deception continues. I have obeyed the voice of the Lord and gone on the mission on which the Lord sent me and brought back Agag, king of Amalek. I have utterly destroyed the Amalekites. Do you see the contradiction that's taking place in his statements? He's not even making any sense here. This is deception at its finest. But the people took of the plunder, sheep, and oxen, the best of the things which should have been utterly destroyed, to sacrifice to the Lord your God in Gilgal. Next step that takes place. When you're operating in rebellion that leads to deception, you'll start trying to make up ways to obey God on your own. See, now he's trying to say, okay, but the reason we kept all this stuff was to sacrifice these things to God. Now, I mean, you read the Old Testament, God loves some sacrifices. I mean, God would come down and visit His people when these sacrifices took place. You read the book of Leviticus, and it's full of sacrifices. Kill this and bring this and split this in two and take the heads off of this and pour the blood of of this animal on top of the altar and, and do this and put this kind of incense and I will come and visit the tabernacle in the wilderness, the temple in Jerusalem. It wasn't that God didn't love sacrifices. But we find out here in the next verse that there's something that God loves even more than sacrifices. Verse 22, so Samuel said, Has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Does he like sacrifices more? than you just obeying whatever he says to do? Does he like that 
sweet aroma, that smell that comes up to him? Does he like that greater than you just obeying? Next statement's one that we know. Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice. The thing we have to understand is that obedience is the greatest sacrifice. The sacrifice that God wanted was King Saul, not animals. He wanted King Saul to lay his will, to lay himself on the altar. Instead of building a monument for himself, he should have been building an altar that he could have laid his will and his desire and his own interests on for the sake of the interest of the Father. See, Jesus was great at this. Jesus went throughout his entire ministry and said, I don't do what I want to do. I don't even say what I want to say. I don't go Where I want to go. Whatever my father says, that's what I say. Whatever he tells me to say, that's what I speak. Whether or not I have another interest or not. Whether I have another will or not. Did Jesus have his own will? Absolutely. He identified it in the garden. And he said, not my will, but your will be done. You can't do your will and God's will at the same time. Something's getting laid on the altar. And King Saul decided to lay God's will on the altar rather than his own. Even built a monument for himself. Now, here's the thing. And we can't, we've got to be careful with this. We've got to be careful with this. Did Saul have victory against the Amalekites? It's it's an easy question. I'm not trying to trip anybody up. Did he have victory against the Amalekites? Uh, You get the king, you're pretty victorious. I mean, I I played a game as a kid called Stratego, and you wanted to get to the flag. When you get to the other side, when you get that possession that the other side is holding on to, you win. But he's confused natural victory for spiritual victory. Because although he may have won naturally, he's lost spiritually. He's lost. Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice. To heed than the fat of rams. For rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft. Stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. Because you, have a, because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he also has rejected you from being king. We've got to understand that the work that God has called us to do is directly tied to the word that God gives us. The work that he's assigned you to He's assigned you as a mother. He's assigned you as a father. He's assigned you as a husband and a wife. He's assigned you as an employer or an employee, as a business owner. He's assigned a role to you, and your ability to function in that role is directly tied, directly connected to your ability to follow his word in the assignment. 
I mean, it, it's affecting who Saul is. Who he is and what he does. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has also rejected you from being king. Verse 24, then Saul said to Samuel, I have sinned. When you give attention to God's word, it will always bring clarity. So now that Saul has become quiet, has listened and not just heard the word, it's now identifiable, I have sinned, I'm in the wrong, this is what I should have done. I have sinned, for I have transgressed the commandment of the Lord and your words, because I feared the people and obeyed their voice. Look, it's, it's vital, guys. It is vital that when we're in situations where you need to follow direction from the Holy Spirit and direction and guidance from God, that you shut out other voices. You've heard me say it before. Confusion is the result of too many voices. It's hard to be confused when God's word is the only thing coming to you. But we get in those situations. Am I supposed to take this job? Am I supposed to move? Am I supposed to go back to school? Uh, uh, should I send my kids to this school? Uh, should I do this? Should I take this? Should I go into business with this person? Should I buy this house? Should I buy this view? We, we have these little moments in life and sometimes big moments. And you want to hear from God. Here's the great thing about God is he knows the future. He knows where your kids are going to go to school next year. He knows what house you're going to live in. He knows what job you're going to take. He knows what city you're... He knows the future. And guess what? He wants to inform you of it. The Bible tells me that the steps of the righteous man are ordered of the Lord. He wants me to know the next step. You don't need to know the whole path. You just need to know the next step. And he wants you to know that. He wants to inform you. God is not someone up in the clouds that's watching down on us and hoping we get it right. He's hoping we'll shut everything else out and listen to him so we can get it right. You may remember last summer we did a series on knowing God's will. Because, you know, everybody wants to know God's will. Christians want to know God's will. Non-Christians want to know God's will. Everybody, what's God's will for my life? Well, knowing God's will for your life first begins by knowing God. Many times we just want to know God's will without knowing him. We've got to get acquainted to the one that has the will for us, that has the purpose for us, that has. If you would spend time getting to know God, it'll become very identifiable what his will is for your life. We've got to spend time getting to know him. So he feared the people, obeyed their voice. Verse 25, Now therefore, please pardon my sin and return with me that I may worship the Lord. But Samuel said to Saul, I will not return with you, for you have rejected the word of the Lord, and the Lord has rejected you from being king over Israel. And as Samuel turned around to go away, Saul seized the edge of his robe and it tore. So Samuel said to him, The Lord has torn the kingdom of Israel from you today and has given it to a neighbor of yours who is better than you. And also the strength of Israel will not lie nor relent, for he is not a man that he should 
relent. Then he said, I have sinned, yet honor me now, please, before the elders of my people and before Israel, and return with me that I may worship the Lord your God. So Samuel turned back after Saul, and Samuel worshipped the Lord. The next thing that we have to understand is that our ability to operate in authority is directly tied to our ability to submit to God's authority. Time and time again, we see it in the Bible where someone failed to listen to God and they were removed from a position of authority. This is how we got into the mess that we're in today. Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, God said, Let us make man in our image, in our likeness, let them Rule and have dominion and have authority and govern and control and rule on the earth. They have dominion over the fish of the sea, birds of the air, and over all the earth. Adam was placed in charge of the earth, in control. But Genesis chapter 3, he fails. In submitting to God's authority, God said, do not eat of the tree. Adam and Eve eat of the tree. And instantly their inability to remain submitted to God's authority removes them from authority. They're not in charge anymore. Now the earth controls them. Now the earth dictates them. Now they're working for the earth rather than the earth working for them. Why? Because our ability to operate in authority in the earth is directly tied to submitting to God's authority. You may remember in Matthew chapter 8, Jesus comes into contact with a centurion, Roman centurion. Roman centurion that hates the Jews. But this man has a need. My servant is at home on his deathbed. Jesus says, well, I'll... Come and lay hands on them. That's what I do for everybody else. I lay hands on them. They get healed. Very simple. He says, no, you don't even have to do that. All you have to do is just speak the word. Speak the word and my servant will be healed. Why? Because I am a man just like you. Under authority. So when I tell my servant, go here, he does it. And when I tell my servant, bring me this, he does it. Why? Because I submit to the authority over me. Those that are below me submit to me. And he viewed Jesus. He saw Jesus in perspective of his, uh, uh, of his military position. He says, you are submitted to someone else's authority. So when you speak words, it happens. Why? Because Jesus realized, I do nothing on my own initiative, but that which the Father tells me to do, I do. Therefore, when I speak, things happen. Demons are cast out. Sickness is healed. Storms stop. Because I'm submitted to my Father. Therefore, things submit to me. Samuel said, bring Agag, king of the Amalekites, here to me. So Agag came to him cautiously. And Agag said, surely the bitterness of the death of death is past. But Samuel said, as your sword has made women childless, so shall your mother be childless among women. And he hacked Agag in pieces. Samuel went to Ramah and Saul went up to his house at Gibeah of Saul. And Samuel went no more to see Saul until the day of his death. Nevertheless, 
Samuel mourned for Saul, and the Lord regretted that he had made Saul king over Israel. Go to Matthew chapter 7. We'll close there. It's very apparent that God brings a word that's directly tied to our role, directly tied to what he has called you and I to do in life. And when he brings a word, his words require a response. His word requires a response. Matthew chapter 7, verse 24. Therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain descended, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, and it did not fall, for it was founded on the rock. But everyone who hears these sayings of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain descended, the floods came, the winds blew and beat on that house, and it fell. And great was its fall. Our stability in life is linked to our ability to obey God. To listen and obey. And look, this is an encouraging word tonight. This isn't a down word. This isn't, this isn't a word to, to beat you down. Uh, because God is only future focused. You know, we all of a sudden want to just start looking at areas in our life where maybe we missed it. Maybe we didn't obey God. But let me tell you, when you're quick to ask for forgiveness, he's quick to forgive. When you're quick to recognize, man, I missed it there. God wants you to do his will. God needs you to do his will. Do you realize that he was using King Saul that day, using the Israelites to carry out his will? It was his will to wipe that nation off the planet. It was God's will. But he said this, I need someone to obey me to carry out my will in the earth. The Bible tells me that Jesus laid down his will. And for the joy of the cross set before him, offered himself up in obedience, even to the point of death. I thank God that Jesus laid down his will, sacrificed himself. And we, you, you hear me say this all the time. He died, he took up his cross in the garden when he said, not my will your will that's when he took up his cross and the cross that he carried is the same cross you and I are to carry the cross that he bore is the same cross what is that laying down my will for his will but it requires me to listen and obey we tell our kids all this time listen and obey listen and obey. Later on this year, I will do a series on worship. Because we don't really know what worship is. Worship has nothing to do with music and instruments and songs and raising your hands. Because Saul came and his excuse was, I wanted to worship you. That's what a sacrifice was. Bible tells us to offer up a sacrifice of praise. He said we wanted to sacrifice to the Lord. We wanted to worship. 
I heard someone a few weeks ago give this analogy and it brought it home. He said, if you have your son or your daughter always coming up to you and hugging you and, and just telling you how much, you, how much they love you and how, how thankful they are that, that you're their parent. Daddy, I, I love you so much. You're, you're so awesome. I love you. You're the best daddy in the world. You're such a good mommy. Well, that's all great and everything, but then when you say, hey, I, I need you to go take out the trash for me. No. But Daddy, I, I, I love you so much. Yeah, I, I need you to, to clean up your room, please. Worship. You cannot worship someone you're not submitted to. If I'm not submitted to him, I can't worship him. And this was Saul's problem. I just want to worship him. I just want to offer up sacrifices, but I don't want to do what he tells me to do. Worship is submission. Worship, the position of worship, isn't standing up with your hands in the air. Worship is kneeling down, saying, Not my will, your will. I'm submitted. Worship is a position of vulnerability. Worship is a position, because in this position, there's not much attacking you're doing. But you're saying, I'm submitted to your purpose. I'm submitted to your will. What you have for me, that's what I'm going to do. That's true worship to God. That's true worship. It's not playing a CD. It's not putting on a song. It's not singing at the top of our voice, you know, on the way to work in the car. Worship is submitting to him and obedience is better than sacrifice father we thank you tonight for your word because your word gives us life your word gives us direction your word gives us guidance but father we commit ourselves tonight we dedicate ourselves tonight to obey your word to listen to hear to give attention as you speak as you guide as you lead us and Father, I thank you that your word creates within us the ability to respond. You don't ever ask us anything that we are not able to do. You don't place anything on us that we're not able to carry. And so, Father, when you speak, we look to act. Your word requires a response from us. And we thank you that as we respond, as we obey, as we do as you've asked us to do. We thank you that your blessings will overflow us. Your blessings will surround us. And we lay down our will, we lay down our desires, we lay down our purposes and our own interests for the interests of the king. We thank you that you will guide us, you will lead us, you will show us things to come, you will show us the future, you will bring it to pass in our lives. Those things that we have questions about, those things that have gone unanswered, Father, I thank you that we begin to receive that direction as we set ourselves to obey your word. We thank you for this tonight in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen, amen, and amen, hallelujah. We want to take up our tithe and offering at this time. Amen. If you uh, need an offering envelope, our ushers are moving now. If you please raise your hand real high and our ushers will get you one. We are 
uh, honored that you would give, contribute, participate financially with us in the vision of this church, the vision.